Hello, and welcome to Nothing Ever Happens in Canada, and I'm Canadian Girl. Thanks for joining me today. This is a Canadian podcast about the myths, legends, and just good old stories Canada has to tell. And in this case, we have a UFO one. Have you ever seen a UFO? I'd love to hear about it if you have. Me personally? Nah. But I was terribly afraid of them as a child. They were probably one of my biggest fears. But not anymore. Now I'm more interested and curious, I'd say. Anyway, let's get back to the story. This week, we're going to look at two UFOs that come flying into Shag Harbor, Nova Scotia, right in plain sight, on the clearest night, for all who are up late and looking up to sea. Grab a blanket, some hot cocoa, whatever it is you prefer, as we wait for our guests to arrive in Nova Scotia on the night of October the 4th, 1967. It's around 7 p.m., dusk, and we're just in time for our tale to begin. It's October the 4th, 1967. It's a Wednesday evening and Air Canada Flight 305 is flying over Sherbrooke and St. John, Quebec at 3,600 meters from the Halifax airport when Captain Pierre Charbonneau spotted a very strange object out the left side of his aircraft around 7.15 p.m. He quickly pointed the object out to his co-pilot, Robert Ralph. They reported a brilliantly lit orange rectangle with a string of smaller objects that was trailing behind the aircraft for a few miles. They also reported at 7.19 p.m. they noticed a silent explosion occur near the object. Two minutes later, another explosion with no noise, this time left a blue cloud around the object. Despite concerns for their careers, both pilots wrote up extensive reports including drawings and recorded the dates and times of the events. Another flight, Pan Am 160A, a 707 Boeing cargo plane, was at 33,000 feet the same night and reported seeing a row of flashing lights over the Gulf of Maine. As they approached Nova Scotia, co-pilot Captain Ralph Lewinger to this day still talks about his encounter. He was just recently at the Shag Harbor 50th Anniversary Festival in October of 2017 sharing his tale. Before we get too far into this mystery, let me tell you a little bit about Shag Harbor. It's a small fishing village located in Nova Scotia, Canada, about 255 kilometers south of Halifax. It's named after the bird, the shag. It is of the aquatic type and inhabits the island. Shag Harbor was basically not known at all and often left off maps entirely until the UFO event in 1967 put it back on. 
it was one of the most well-documented UFO events in history. Other than that, the only other known story is of a sea monster encounter in 1974 by Rodney Ross. On that evening, Daryl Dory, his sister, and his mother were sitting on the family's front porch in Mahone Bay, 171 kilometers north of Shag Harbor, when they noticed a large yellow object flying around the southwest horizon. Many others that night would also report seeing flashing lights along the coast and more. It became known as the night of the UFOs. 11 people reported a low-flying object heading towards the harbor and that a whistling noise was heard, followed by a whoosh, then even some heard a bang. Lori Wickens and four friends were driving east on Highway 3 towards Shag Harbor. Wickens was 18 at the time, a local resident who was a fisherman. They noticed an object out the car window driving parallel to them that was about 60 feet long, a thousand feet off the ground, and made no noise. It would hover and descend, then hover and descend a little more, all while flashing lights as it went. The lights were said to flash in sequence. They were orange, one would go off, two would go off, three would go off, then four. Then they would all turn off together. Then the sequence would start again. The object then disappeared behind the tree line. The friends continued to drive along beside it and reported next that they heard a whistling sound. One girl reported a whooshing sound. They all agreed they heard a bang. They see the lights heading on a 45-degree angle towards the harbor. They rush by car and observe the pale yellow floating light about 300 meters off of shore. They got back in the car, drove to a payphone 3.2 kilometers away, and called the RCMP. Lori reported he had seen an airplane crash into the harbor, and the first thing the officer asked him is if he had been drinking that night. Lori replied no. He took the phone number of the payphone and told Lori to stay put. Immediately after he hung up the phone, it begins ringing off the hook, reports of a plane crash in the harbor. So the officer called Wickens back and asked where he could meet him. He said the old Irish moss plant. Fifteen minutes later, RCMP officers arrived on the scene. To this day, Lori Wickens is one of the most famous witnesses. He can be seen in every documentary on this matter. Today, he is the president of the Shag Harbor Incident Society. Another key witness in all this is Corporal Victor Werbicki. He is the RCMP officer who took Lori Wickens' call that night. He also received another call from Mary Banks of Garon Point 
It overlooked Shag Harbor. She heard a whistling sound and a bang and saw something on the ground. A man from Bear Point, northeast of Shag Harbor, would report he heard a whistling sound, saw a flash of light, and he thought something may have crashed into the harbor as well. As you know, Officer Warbicki would hang up the phone and call Wickens back and arrange to meet him. He arrived at the Irish Moss plant to find fellow RCMP officer Ron Pond. He had witnessed the strange lights himself. He said they made no noise and would flash in sequence. The craft was about 60 feet long, he estimated, and he followed it all the way to the harbor. What they saw next when they arrived was a yellow light moving slowly on the surface of the water, moving away from the shore and leaving a yellow foam on the water's surface. Some said it was sparkling and some claimed it had a terrible smell of sulfur. Then it either dipped into the sea or moved so far out it could not be seen. No one could tell for sure. Many local fishermen on the scene hopped on nearby boats and rushed out to see if there was anyone who needed help. By the time the Coast Guard and the men arrived at the scene, the light had disappeared, but the yellowish foam remained. All being local fishermen, they were very knowledgeable when it came to sea foams, and this was something they had never seen before. Some say it was thick, almost like butter, and the Coast Guard believed it was a sign that something had definitely submerged. They scurried around looking for any survivors, but none were to be found. They also found no debris at all. At 3 a.m., they would call off the search for the night to resume in the morning. By the next day, it was determined there was no missing aircraft, military, commercial, or private. All flights had been accounted for. So what was in the harbor that so many people in Shag Harbor saw that night? What was 60 feet long with orange flashing lights while flying and then pale yellow ones while landing? Witnesses had all reported seeing a plane crash. By morning, the word on the tip of every officer's tongue was UFO. That same day, the Rescue Coordination Center filed a report with Canadian Forces Headquarters in Ottawa. It stated that an object had hit the water in Shag Harbor, Nova Scotia, and the object was of unknown origins. A Halifax area man known as Chris Stiles is the man who knows everything on Shag Harbor. He has also written a fabulous book called Dark Object. I highly recommend it and will include a link below so you can look at it for yourself. Everything about Shag Harbor and the mystery is definitely in Chris Stiles' book. Stiles has dug up files from the government and police records every chance he could. One even cites from an RCMP incident report a telex correspondence sent between military personnel, a glowing orange sphere the size of a city bus bobbed up and down on the waves 300 meters from shore at 11.20 p.m. and slipped beneath the surface without a sound. 
the Royal Canadian Navy would dive for three days off the Coast Guard Cutter 101. They provided no answers to anyone and claimed to have found nothing, a claim to this day witness Lori Wickens does not believe. On October the 7th, 1967, the Halifax newspaper, known as the Chronicle Herald, ran a headline, could be something concrete in the Shag Harbor UFO, quoted as being said by the Royal Canadian Air Force. This headline would drive the whole community and nation into the world news. We have a few more witnesses to hear from before we move on and our next witness just might be holding the key to the proof of the second UFO being sighted. Norm Smith, 17, and his friend Dave Kendrick, 18, were returning from dropping off their dates from an evening out. They were driving west on Highway Number 3, like Lori Wickens and his friends who were heading east. They most likely passed each other. Kendrick claimed to see four to five lights over the tree line flashing between red and orange in color. Norm Smith would claim that the lights headed downwards. He told the Halifax Chronicle record he had heard a whistling sound and then it disappeared behind the tree line. Smith then dropped off Kendrick at home. He went home and told his parents about what he had saw and went to bed. Somehow, which I was not able to find, Norm would spot the lights again, wake up his father, and they drove towards the harbor together. They both reported seeing police officers rushing to the scene on their way down. Both father and son were heavily involved in the search and rescue efforts. So what did Norm Smith see? In my opinion and others, he saw not only the first ship that night, but also the second. When he was with Kendrick, he saw the first set of lights go down towards the harbor at the same time that Lori Wickens did. He then saw the second set of lights with his father at his house, which made them both jump in the car and head down to the harbor on this drive. They claimed to have seen the police officers driving down as well, this means that Lori Wickens had already made his call, which means object number one was already down in the harbor. Did Norman, his father, see the second UFO that night? Hang on to that thought. I haven't told you everything just yet. Our next witnesses are RCMP Constable Ian Andrews and three game wardens that were on a stakeout at Arthur Lake that night when they all saw a glowing orange ball of fire moving slowly south just above the tree line. The constable would describe it as being like an upside down candle flame shape with sparks of light objects coming off of it. It also made no sound. Years later, Constable Andrew admitted to not filing a report because of the amount of paperwork that would be needed to claim something like that. He said 
it would have to go through four to five departments before being cleared. There is also a very interesting time-lapse photo taken on the shore that night by photographer Will Eisner. He took it while burning an old wooden boat on the beach that night with some friends. It caught three lights, one on the bottom left, one on the bottom right, that were amber in color, and the third light, straight up above in the center of the two, was blue, almost in a triangle-like form. What the time-lapse photo reveals is that while the stars and everything else move as they should, the three lights remain still throughout the exposure. Were they just hovering there in the background? Did Will and his friends not notice? I couldn't really find much else other than the fact that he had taken the picture. I don't know if he claimed to have ever seen them or not. If you do find anything else about this part of the tale, please let me know. All I really know is about the picture. What do you think? Our final witness, Peter Gorham. He was 12 and a half years old at the time. He told his parents he heard an object come low over his house and claimed to hear a tumbling sound that turned to a whistling noise. He then jumped out of the bed and saw a flash of light throughout the house. His parents did not believe him until the next day when they saw the reports. A lighthouse keeper the next morning on Bon Portage Island found a 30 to 40 inch cylinder on the shore. It had a terrible odor. It was damaged, still smoldering, and had wires hanging out of it. He called the Canadian Department of Transportation. They told him to go to Prospect Point Naval Office and hand it over to an American officer there. He never saw it again. Next we head to the Shelbourne Naval Base, located 70 kilometers northeast of Shag Harbor, where an underwater diver and plumber, William Boudreau, was mysteriously sent home right after the crash and told not to return until further orders. So while everyone was looking at Shag Harbor just down the road, in Sandy Point community, something was going on at the local naval base. This base, what is it even for? Well, that's a really good question. The big rumor at Shelburne Naval Base was that there was two unknown objects located under the water just off of the harbor shores. A telex sent to military headquarters in Ottawa stated it was a dark object and also used the word UFO which was underlined many times. A military officer interviewed by Shag Harbor expert Chris Stiles states that an orange orb was spotted in Shag Harbor. It had submerged on its own and traveled just up the seabed coast to rest off Shelburne. 
It would rest just outside the U.S. and Canadian Forces' most secret military base, Station Shelburne, on Sandy Point Road. The cover story for the Station Shelburne was a hydrographic research station or an oceanographic institute. In reality, it was a coordination center for the North American submarine detection, using microphones and magnets to monitor every sub in the Atlantic Ocean. In 1993, a diver who wanted to remain anonymous spoke to Chris Stiles. He told him they did find something, but it was not in Shag Harbor, but in Shelburne. Other divers in the Shelburne area at the time claimed to have seen two ships underwater. There are also rumors that there are many pictures that were taken by the divers during the seven days that they were present, but those pictures have never been seen. Both ships were monitored not only by the Canadian military, but also by the American. It is said for seven days, both military parties kept their eye on the ships. Another diver claimed to have seen something wrapped under the water and then brought to the surface so no one could see. Divers also claim the two ships seem to be providing aid to one another back and forth. A captain of a ship who was in the Shelburne Harbour would fill out a report stating he saw lots of ships searching for something. On October the 11th, a Russian sub would enter the Gulf of Maine near Shelburne. Alerted to the Russian sub's presence, the military watching the two objects in the harbor would approach the sub. As they moved away, the two objects in the harbor began to move away as well. They continued to move down the Gulf of Maine and would take off while everyone else was distracted. The Cameron family were at their home and claimed to see two sets of lights flying out of the harbor. They even reported at the time it affected their televisions. In Lower Wood Harbor, people would also report seeing lights leaving the harbor, confirming the Cameron's family's story. Today, this event is largely disregarded or ignored by the government. No one in the small fishing community will ever forget the night of the UFOs. There are still tons of theories that circle around. One theory is of a Russian spacecraft crashing into the harbor, and that is why there was a Russian sub present. Some point to the Americans, as they have never once gave an official statement regarding their presence in Shag Harbor or Shelburne at the time. What we do know is the community definitely saw something that night. Just recently, in September 2017, another sighting was made close by on Cape Sable Island. It made headlines again. I'll include the link down below so you can see it for yourself. So what's going on in Shag Harbor? Or in Shelburne? Do you think it was a UFO? A military experiment? Or something else? I'd love to hear your theories. I personally believe that we were visited by two spacecrafts who, like some divers reported, were repairing themselves before their long journey home. I also found it interesting while listening to 
Into the Portals podcast on the Clarenville UFO incident, episode 48. Of course, I'll include the link below. They were pointing out how UFOs tend to like water, have flashing lights, make no noise, and often smell of sulfur. These characteristics are present in many Canadian UFO tales. This one included. I don't know about you, but I'd say that's too many coincidences across the country for there not to be some unknown object or objects flying around out there making no noise, flashing lights, and leaving a bad smell. Oh, and don't forget to check the water before you go swimming next time. You never know what could be down there. I'm Canadian Girl. Until next time. I just wanted to give a quick shout out to the Mainland Podcast. They are a rad podcast about the history of the Vancouver area and they do their research. You will not be disappointed. They are on SoundCloud, Apple iTunes, or of course I will include a link below. I also wanted to give a quick shout out to a guy named Matt. He left us our first five star review on Facebook and said he was looking forward to hearing the rest of this UFO story. So I hope I didn't let you down. I hope you enjoyed it. Also, if you're looking to get in touch with me, you can find me on most social media. I'm on Twitter and Instagram and Facebook at the handle Nothing Canada. I'd love to hear your feedback, comments, or even if you have a story suggestion. I would appreciate it so much. support the show? You can do that in three simple ways. The first one, you can leave us a shiny five-star review on Apple Podcasts. This small gesture means so much to this podcast as it allows us to move around on the podcast charts and meet more awesome listeners like you. The second, you can stop by our souvenir shop and pick up a souvenir from one of our great adventures and take it on your very own. There's t-shirts, water bottles, notebooks, and so much more. Do head over to our souvenir shop today and grab some adventure gear. And finally, the third way you can help support the show is by donation. We have a fancy PayPal button that can be found on the top right of our webpage, nothingcanada.com. This button allows you the option to donate as much as you want, whenever you want. All donations will be used for the channel by buying new books for research, paying for the podcast website, and upgrading equipment. All three links to help support the show, of course, can be found in the show notes below. I thank you all so much for your support of the show. It means the world to me. And you guys, who listen to the very, very end every time, you are the out-of-this-world fans that are my absolute favorite. Enjoy your week and watch the skies. I'm Canadian Girl.